How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been good, been good. Uh, we've had pretty decent weather in Calgary and have been enjoying Pokemon Arceus, so, you know, good week, good week. What's Pokemon Arceus? Pokemon Arceus is... Arceus, it's probably one of the first real open world Pokemon games. So they kind of reworked the main format to be a lot more conducive to open world exploration. So the first, like the first really 3D game was Pokemon XY, but still kind of had like you you go between towns en route sort of configuration. Uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield back in 2019 kind of shook it up. It had some open areas, but they didn't really play any different than the more bounded routes so this is the first time where they really just sat down rejigged the whole thing and made it fit the open world paradigm okay so it's kind of like a sandbox open experience kind of, yeah yeah and uh, it works really well yeah right on now is it on the switch or is it yes. on yeah switch five okay although it's like you can look at some of the things they did and some people have speculated that it probably started out as a 3ds game Right. Just by the way that some of the weird limitations on the engine, like the very low draw distance, even for a Switch game, some of the questionable graphics, like the trees look pretty bad. But uh, the main stuff looks good enough. The gameplay is really well. Uh, the engine is actually reasonably optimized for the Switch, but it's it's a really good game. Okay. They're still selling the 3DS, aren't they? I, I haven't, I, yeah, I was going to say, I haven't seen one in a while. Because I think... The last game for it came out in 2018. Okay, so there's a pretty good chance that they're probably not even making them anymore. Yeah, so I think that it it's discontinued or... Oh, yeah, the eShop's closing. Mm. Although I know, like, Best Buy and stuff still has, like, some 3DS games in stock. And they still have... And, like, Best Buy yeah, still has games in stock. Okay, so so what you're saying is that games are still in stock, but the console aren't. But yeah, they might have sold out the rest of the consoles. Okay. So, Tim, I'm super excited to get together today, not only because we got some games to talk about, we're going to recap our week, all that good stuff, but we also got a great cover athlete to talk about. So let's go no further. Let's talk about our cover athlete for today, Season 5, Episode 21, in chronological order, Episode 116, the Clark MacArthur edition of the Third Line Plugs, Senskaz. So just a little background about Clark MacArthur. He was drafted 74th overall by the Buffalo Sabres in 2003. He spent seven seasons with the Buffalo Sabres, Atlanta Thrashers, and Toronto Maple Leafs before signing as a free agent with the Ottawa Senators in July of 2013, recording 40 goals, 51 assists for 91 points in 149 games in total. You know, it's funny because a lot of people don't really think of Clark MacArthur as a guy who spent most of his career with the Ottawa centers, but he said he spent parts of four seasons with Ottawa, which is more than he spent with Toronto and Buffalo almost combined. If, if he had played one more season, yeah, half his career would have been in Ottawa. It isn't funny eh? because again, even talking about last week's cover athlete with Danny Heatley, it's that Danny Heatley, like MacArthur, he spent, He's probably better known for playing with these other teams, but the thing is that he played longest with a sense. You know, with Danny Heatley, if I think when most people think of Danny Heatley, the superstar, they think of Danny Heatley, the Ottawa center in the yeah, cash line. No, no, I get Clark that. Mathar like, Clark MacArthur, I think most people think the Maple Leafs. 
Yeah, and obviously there was the, that exception, right? With he heater being in his, with the Sands, MacArthur with the Leafs. No, it's funny because when we were talking about Danny Heatley last week, like I couldn't really think of any definitive moments when thinking of Heatley. I think of Heatley's general tenure as an Ottawa center. Clark MacArthur is not that because Clark MacArthur, I can think of several moments when I think of Clark MacArthur. There was a moment, I believe in 2014, I believe there was a game versus Minnesota where he got the puck. He went down the right side and Kyle Turris was on in the left side. So Clark MacArthur pulled the puck back between his legs and flipped it to Kyle who scored. Yeah. That's well, one of the moments. Of. That's the thing about Clark MacArthur is a lot of people didn't really think think of Clark MacArthur as this all-star, but the guy was probably in the upper echelon of top, like of second line players. We're talking about a guy who was dominant in fancy stats and could finish decently well. And he's kind of like Connor Brown. He's kind of like Connor Brown. Yeah. We're talking about like a guy who was incredible in the ability to, control the ice both ways and he had a bit of finished one and that just made him such a good player and it seemed to always be better in the playoffs yeah and while it's a shame that we never really got to see that with Clark MacArthur in the playoffs with the exception of 2017 where he scored two big goals he scored in game one versus Boston I believe he put he scored to put us up two nothing in the game and I remember when he scored it was one of those moments where MacArthur scores, the fans start cheering, and then they go wild when they realize it was Clark. Well, I think in particular, the one that was even more insane was the overtime winner. Yeah. But yeah, like I remember I was at an anime convention at the time and I looked at my phone and I saw Clark MacArthur scored. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I had like people looked at me. I was like, Clark MacArthur scored. Ottawa beats Boston. And like people were like, a few people were like, what the fuck is this guy on about? And then a few other people were like, fuck Boston. <laughs> and then like I was going down the escalator later and I met these guys from uh, Red, that had grown up in Red Deer. They're like, fuck Boston. Clark MacArthur's the best. Because That's I was wearing amazing. my sen- I was out of cosplay in, in a sen shirt. And I think that's probably my favorite Clark MacArthur memory because it was just this spontaneous outpouring of love for a guy who had just been completely battered by injury that year. He had, I mean, really, I mean, the 18 months prior to the 16, 17 season where he dealt with what three concussions, if I'm not mistaken in a span of 18 months that it single-handedly looked like his career just ended right then and there. And then he started working out, he started getting better then one hit in training camp just threw a, monkey, it, yeah. threw a monkey wrench. And I, you know what I remember about that is I remember obviously when Pat Seeloff hit him, there was this like, Ooh, that's a bad hit. But the next thing you know, the camera pans and Bobby Ryan is feeding him lunch. And all you hear is the fuck would you do that? Like he's just screaming at him. That is the correct. And I'm really glad that Bobby Ryan just really gave it to him. And the one nice thing is, like, even in that playoff series that Ottawa lost to the Montreal Canadiens, Clark MacArthur had two goals. And uh, was his the game win? No, funnily enough, they were both goals in games that Ottawa, that Ottawa lost. 
Well, you know what's funny? And I, when I was thinking about when Clark MacArthur came up as a cover athlete, potential cover athlete, my first thought was like, he's probably going to win this. You know, and I've said this in the past, you look at some of the athletes that go on the board and it's just like, you can almost guarantee this is exactly where the fans are going to vote. Like you knew Radek Bonk was going to get voted in. You knew Danny Healy was going to get voted in. You knew, obviously, if Alfredson was on the board, he'd be voted in. Clark MacArthur was the same way. Clark was a, such an obvious choice just because of, even though he didn't play a ton in Ottawa, he only played 149 games. He was a fan favorite. He was like Connor Brown. He was just a fan favorite who came in, liked playing in Ottawa, loved the city. The fans loved him. And it's funny because Clark's one of those guys that I remember when he signed as a free agent, you got to realize at the time we just lost Daniel Alfredson. Yep. Alfie walked. Fans are losing their minds because, again, nobody thought Alfie was going to leave. And then what does Brian Murray do? He makes the trade for Bobby Ryan, and he brings in Clark MacArthur. And I that happened within an hour, which I remember I was working a security desk job at the time. And I just had TSN open playing the radio for Trade Center for free agency day. And like there was a guy who walked out for lunch. He asked me what's going on. I said, Oh, Ottawa lost uh, Daniel officers. Like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. The same guy comes back from lunch. He asks, Oh, how's trade deadline? Sorry. How's the free agency going? Ottawa picked up Bobby Ryan and Clark MacArthur. He was like, what? It's, it's insane. And Clark definitely for myself, like he, he was definitely a fan favorite for myself because he was one of those guys who like Connor Brown after him. And even, Jacob Silverberg before him he was one of those guys that you watched him in the corners mucking it up he had some good skills he played very well in Ottawa it's just a shame that and like I said it's a shame that his career didn't last longer in Ottawa but unfortunately it is what it is but I just remember the contract itself Clark MacArthur was coming off like he was a very good middle six player yeah the Senators threw almost five million dollars per year at him and I think he said for, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I think he said to what four, four, six. I want to, that sounds right. But here's the thing for a top six winger, which Clark MacArthur is, sorry, was, that is the right number. It is true. It is because true. But, but you always you run you the, the risk production. of, yeah. It's true. But you run the risk of this not working, right? And yeah. well, I'm not, well, I'm not going to use David Clarkson as an example, but you see how David Clarkson played in New Jersey and the Leafs threw all that money at him and it didn't work. Of course. Clark, Clark MacArthur was a very, very good player who was not expected to be the vocal point of the Leafs offense. So I think there was this mindset, especially I had this mindset of, okay, well, how is he going to do in Ottawa now that he's expected to be more than that? Well, what Can happened? He this game? what happened was the first contract that Brian Murray signed Clark MacArthur to was the same contract he had in Toronto at 3.25 okay. per year for two years. And then at the start of 2015, 2016 season, they signed him to an extension at 4.6. So they saw what happened. They saw that, yeah, this guy is a legit top end. He's like a very high top six. He could fit into your top line if necessary type guy. Four and a half is not a bad number for him. No, it's not. No, it really isn't. Now, the final thing I want to talk about Clark MacArthur here 
is when he was playing for Toronto, you know, this is like pre Twitter getting really big. This is pre, this is really when social media started coming into its own. And the Leafs were doing this thing with sport check where Clark MacArthur, I don't think he went to one of the big malls in Toronto, but he went to one of the sports check locations in, in the town and he posed as one of the employees <laughs> and they had a camera crew following him around and everything. And his name was Phil. He got a guy to buy a Clark MacArthur Jersey. Nice. And he's just like, uh, no. And someone's asking him, he goes, Oh, are you Clark MacArthur? He goes, no, uh, my name's Phil. <laughs> just like, so one. And they're like, Oh, what's with the cameras? Oh, uh, you know, I was employee of the month. Eh? They're doing something here. They're filming me. And you can tell he's trying so hard not to break. He's just like, don't, don't tell him. Don't not tell him you're Clark MacArthur. Well, if like the guy asks, are you Clark MacArthur? He probably already knows. Yeah. Like he's also taking part in the kayfabe. Yep. But even though I think there was one moment, I haven't seen it in a while. I think there was somebody looking at a Joffrey Lupel jersey and he's just like, yeah, I mean, he's okay, I guess. <laughs> he's okay. <laughs> he's okay, I guess. No, that that's the one thing that I do appreciate about the current crop and that past crop of Maple police players is they were a fun group. It's true. On social media, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just a shame because when I think of, well, even a guy like Dion Phaneuf, a lot of players who've come out talking about him, he says, like, Dion enough away from the media and away from everybody is one of the funniest people like you'll talk to. Yeah. Like he's such a cool guy to talk to, but the thing is he has to be that way. And where, while Phil Kessel has become more of a meme more than anything, you definitely hear a lot of the stories and you're like, I could totally believe this would be Phil Kessel. Like I remember, I think Christopher Stieg was on spit and check was talking about him and he was passed out on the couch. I think he was eating like a, you know, he had a plate of nachos. This is like did. midnight or whatever. He made a plate of nachos. Versteeg's like, okay, well, I'm going to bed. I'll see you in the morning. Okay, cool. He goes to bed, and next thing you know, he wakes up, and Kessel's passed out on the couch, and there's the plate of nachos. He hadn't even touched it. <laughs> and next thing you know, he's like, ah, God, will you turn the lights off? And he starts eating the nachos. He goes, Phil, what are you doing? What? I'm hungry. Shut up. <laughs> he's just eating this six hour old plate of nachos that's incredible yeah but even like james van reemstake on on checklist as well when he went back to philly he gave kessel a little whack across the laces to, to let him know what's up and he goes james don't re- don't remind me who made you a star in this league bud <laughs> just that whiny little that's just that whiny voice Hey, he's got two cup rings. That's true. Although I was really upset if he had won the Conn Smythe in 2016. I wish, I just wish he had filled the Stanley Cup up with hot dogs. That would have been incredible. Well, I also, I'm sad that he never actually took out that full page ad in the Toronto Star. Yeah. I mean, remember, because he has the picture of him with the cup and hot dogs, so... <laughs> that would have been amazing just like the opening just like the front page of the toronto star him with the stanley cup and the hot dogs uh, yeah no that's that'd be incredible god so good man so good 
Now, what's also really good, Tim, is that we got to plug next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is going to be season five, episode 22, in chronological order, episode 117. Now, we got three names on the board. We got Philip Kuba, David Leguan, and Adam Gaudet. Now, I got a chance to check the poll before we hit record here, and Philip Kuba is winning. I mean, he was quite notable in his time with the Senators. True. And we even got some interactions on the poll, too. Yeah. Well, we had some people accusing others of Philip Koopa erasure. <laughs> Honestly, just fun times. It is fun times, man. It is fun times. Honestly, and that's some of the weird things about our cover athlete polls is that sometimes I look at them and I'm like, you're, 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 you're now like, what? Why? You're now only commenting on this? <laughs> I don't know. We enjoy Philip Koopa. We do. We do. But we're going to have to say that for next week's episode, Tim. Now, Tim, what we're not going to say for next week's episode is talking about our weekly recap, something I love asking. But I'm not going to do just the weekly recap. We're going to recap over the last couple of weeks because we've we've had some episodes that we've gotten to do. No, of course, the first big one we got to talk about is the Brent Wallace interview. I will go to my grave saying that is still one of my favorite interviews we ever did. Because you got to realize maybe six to seven of those questions we asked him were written. Oh yeah. It was. And all then wrapped. the rest, we were just like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Wally? And he's just like, Oh, that's great. Well, a lot of it was also just like, well, how does this work? And a lot of just, he was really generous with the follow-ups too, which I think really helped the interview. And I hope he told Mendez like, yeah, I went on this podcast. You've been on. And they said I was better than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. It was so good. But even listening back to it in my favorite, one of my favorite parts is still well, two parts, obviously the part in Slovakia, when he's talking about that giant seven foot guy talking to him, <laughs> I had never heard that story before. So it's amazing getting to hear what he actually said to him and i'm just like oh god that's funny it's oh my god incredible. it's amazing oh that was so good so good i mean obviously your Slyovica question was really good too and he's just like oh yeah i think i blacked out on that i think that's become a trend <laughs> i think that's a trend that we've noticed here with whether it be noodles or brent wallace if we can get any other guy to who's drank Slyovica, i bet you i think that's probably another thing that they talk about it's just like yeah, that stuff almost killed me. Yeah, he's like, I don't even remember getting back to my room. <laughs> Do you think Ian Mendez has had a run in with Sluvitsa yet? Ooh, good question. I don't know. <laughs> Next time we have him on, we should ask him. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Would Mendez tell us that, though? May yeah, that's fair. Maybe. I mean, in fairness... Jamie McLennan told us, and he was he worked for TSN, so that's true. That's true. It is true. I mean, the other only moment that really sticks out for me was when we asked him, "What is one thing you would recommend see you're doing all of that's not a tourist trap?" And his first response was Freedom Convoy, and I'm just like, "Oh God!" <laughs> you and I were just like, "Did did he just say that?" <laughs> I mean, I got a dignified chuckle out of it. Oh, you did, and I'm just like, my jaw was like, um. What? I mean, it was a funny joke. And it was so quick, too, right? Yeah. You left that joke in, right? 
That's just yeah. too funny. Yeah. It was good. so good. Oh, God, I wasn't going to leave it out. Come on. <laughs> it's stuff like that. And I love those kind of moments that we leave in. Like, remember when we had Mike Gould on the show the first time and his phone went off? And <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you can edit that out. I'm like, no, we're oh. not. We're leaving that in. Although the stuntman Stu Skyprand, I wish we had that on record. Oh, my God. That was amazing. I mean, yeah, like, that was incredible. <laughs> Just, oh, I hate Skype so much. He just goes, I don't know, you know, guys, I'm so fucking sick of Skype. <laughs> That's funny because we went, we went right to Zoom after that, too. Yeah, he, I think he was our last interview that we actually got Skype to work with. No, we didn't. No, I, uh, I got you on Skype and him on the phone. Right. Okay, so, yeah, we went to Zoom. Well, I remember we changed to Zoom in the middle of the Tug Nut and getting, trying to get the Tug Nut interview to work. Mm, was it? Yeah. Because, like, he couldn't get Skype to work. He's like, well, my, my daughter's laptop has Zoom. Yeah, we can try that. That's right. Okay, I do remember this now. <laughs> so yeah. we switched platforms in the middle. And then, our, and then our quality was shit anyway. And I was like, nah, man. Hey, it, it worked. On- it did. And then he goes on Wally Mathot like a couple of months later and it's perfect. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Nah, that's just Craig. All right. Shout out to Craig. He's a, he's a good dude. Yeah. Good dude. Now, another thing we got to talk about, Tim. There, there Speaking about phones going off. There you go. I owe everybody a beer. Now, something we also got to owe some talk for next for last week's episode now, we had, of course, Scott Cowan from the Pocket Roll podcast on the show. It was a really good episode. The one thing that really came out of that for me, I had no idea his dad worked for the Montreal Gazette. That came out of nowhere. I was not, I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't I mean, know we, that we, I mean, we yeah. no sold it, but it was still one of those things where like, cool, cool. Well, it was like, it just came up so naturally that it was like, as if it's like, yeah, I'd be dumb not to know that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. So I guess it is the time of the week. We we should talk about our week. And I'm going to kick it off here, Tim, because I don't know if you knew this. I had a major life milestone that I hit this week. And, you know, it's one of these things. It's been in the works for a while. I knew this day would come. There were even memes about it. I don't know how to tell you this. Homer caught up to you? I started drinking almond milk. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to go with 30. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that hit too. But, you know, it's just one of these things for me, right? Because, <laughs> you know, my body just can't handle milk anymore. And then I had to go to almond milk. And I'm just like, this is where my life's come to. Milk in a carton. Have, you don't have to go to almond milk. Well, I'm not going to. There's wheat milk or soy milk or you could probably even try goat milk. What about yak milk? Have you ever considered yaks? No. No, I haven't, Tim. I mean, yeah, I also turned 30, but I mean, that's... Yeah. Well, no. I, I guess one one comes with the other. That's true. So is it just like a sudden onset? All of a sudden, your body's like, yeah, no. Do you drink a lot of milk or... Not really. Like, uh, I'm, I'm not much of a milk drinker myself. And... It, I don't have anything against it. It's just like, yeah. I just, I don't drink a lot of milk, right? I'm, I drink a lot of water. I don't drink milk. But for me, it was one of those things where I was having cereal or something maybe a few weeks ago. 
and my stomach just like started killing me and it i got really bloated and i was like that's really weird and then i was like okay i thought nothing of it and i kept drinking i'm like okay what is wrong with my body why is this doing this and then i'm like and i'm trying to think back i was like okay what exactly is the only difference i have and i says it's probably milk because nothing else in my diet i've changed yeah I've changed it out with almond milk and my body. Well, I don't feel bloated anymore after eating cereal. No, that's good. It's funny because like something similar happened to me when I was living in Toronto because I hadn't really been drinking milk for a few years. I was, I I was at the store and it was like, yeah, you can get it for like a dollar a liter today. I was like sick. Just so bought a shitload of chocolate milk. And then I was walking to the, so I had some milk in the morning then walked to the train and I was on the way to the TTC station. I was just like, Ugh. I just thought I hadn't slept well the night before. Mm-hmm. Did it again the next morning. I'm like, okay, it's the milk. And then I just kind of just stopped touching milk until a few, like last year, I started working it back into my diet. And then like, once I started regularly drinking again, I was fine. So it's probably not that you're lactose intolerant. It's probably you're just not used to drinking that sh- drinking milk, and it it does sit heavy. It is like it's, which is funny because like I can, I can eat, like I can consume like cream. I can consume all that. It's just milk, like just straight milk. A lot of people are like that, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's like creams, cheeses, that sort of thing have some sort of processing that breaks down the lactose a bit. I think so. Yeah. Well, with milk, it's just like, well, here it is. Yeah. But no, I, I guess I could talk about turning 30. I don't feel any older. That's because it's a gradual process. I feel the same. Honestly, I assumed it was going to be like that moment in The Simpsons where, home, where Ned got admitted, in, he self-admitted into the mental hospital. He goes, very well. Now, do you prefer walking in or do you want to be dragged away kicking and screaming? Ooh, kicking and screaming, please. <laughs> As you wish. I just assumed that was going to be me, but no, 30's been okay. 30's been okay. You know, obviously I had to work Saturday, which was, um, which was my birthday, which is not a big deal to me anyway. So yep. no, got to work my birthday. Our, one of my good friends at work, my work bestie made me a red velvet cake, Ooh. cream cheese icing. So obviously that's how I figured out I'm not, it's not dairy that's killing me. So <laughs> but no, the red velvet cake was awesome. People at work, they, Got me some stuff for my birthday, which was really nice. I was hanging out with my cousins and my nieces there yesterday over at my aunt's place, just hanging out, just playing baseball, all that stuff in the field. Nice. I had a bit of a lunch. Yeah, it was good. Got to see everybody. And today I'm sitting here doing a podcast with you, Tim. So there's the cream de resistance. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think you can ask for anything better, can you? Actually, I could. Uh-oh. And I will formally announce. Now I've already announced this on my other podcast Twitter account at Great White Pod. So you know, Tim, that I do a podcast called The Great White Experience. Yes, it's a bathroom project. It's been really cool. I had our good friend Andrew Locke on the show. We talk about Pantera. I can officially announce that I'm going to bring up the date here because at the end of the month, Tim. Yep. I will be interviewing former TSN sportscaster turned co-host of the podcast Boomsies, Mr. Dan O'Toole. Now that's going to be a good podcast. I'm really looking forward to that. No, that sounds sick, dude. 
I like, how did that happen? Do you just like phone him up and be like, hey, do you want to come to my potty? And he's like, hell yeah. Okay, so how this actually happened is I just happened to DM him on Instagram. I said, hey, Toolsy, I'm doing an interview. I have a podcast. Would you be interested in coming out for an interview? He goes, absolutely. When do you want to do it? Nice. So we so we set it all up, and March 22nd, I'll be doing an exclusive interview with him. Lots of stuff to talk about. Obviously, we'll talk about his time at TSN. I'll talk about his time at TSN, working at Fox. There, I do want to talk about the Fox Sports Jane and Dan podcast because there's a lot of stuff to talk about with that because it was just so awesome to talk about. So, no, I'm really looking forward to that interview, and I think all of our listeners are going to enjoy it too, Tim. And to be fair, we did steal rapid fire from them. That is true. And I am going to bring that up to him because I'm going to do a rapid fire fan question part portion of the episode. So it's going to be great. Nice. Yeah. And I ended up stealing rapid fire for wild, wild voice too. So it's, it's left the sports sphere. There you go, man. So with that being said, Tim, how has your week been going, man? Like we really haven't got a chance to talk. I know. Well, uh, yeah. Yesterday I recorded another episode of wild, wild Weiss. Uh, we had another uh, prominent player, on the show so uh, i'll be probably editing up this week and have it out hopefully before friday because uh yeah i tried i tried to have a february episode for well always but it just didn't end up happening because uh we recorded it and uh the connection was just bad and like this is the first time i've had this sort of problem i lost about 15 minutes of one of the audio tracks Ooh. And it was just like, I can't fix this. How long did it end up becoming? I tossed it after 30 minutes. So I don't know how much was lost at the end of the day. Oof. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, so the March one, it, I've done a spot check of the file and everything seems to have come out clean. So it'll just be a, a nice edit. It's, a, it's only an hour long interview. So hopefully we only edit for two hours. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. No, and obviously that'll be good. I don't really know much about Weiss myself. So, but I know I've got a chance to listen to it. I think I'll listen to like one episode just to see what you're up to. I oh, which, which episode was it? I, yeah, I can't think of it. I can't think of which episode it was. Was there an Australian man? I believe it was. Oh, the Phil, the Billy can't interview. Okay, no, that's probably one of my favorites just because of how absurd it is. Because, uh, no, Phil McKay is a great guy. But, like, that's just him. That's just him. Uh, Sometimes he'll be playing other card games and we'll go onto his stream and just start making, just just start razzing him for stuff. He'll cut back at us. It's, It's good times. You know, it's also a really good time, Tim. It's me segueing into this segment I like to call Top of the Hour. You know, the nice thing is, Tim, our listeners will never know how many takes that took me to do that. But damn it, I am a professional. <laughs> got it. Finally got it, man. It's a good time. Good time. No, good, good. So we're going to talk about our first top of the hour story. The family of Guy Lafleur issued a statement thanking Montreal Canadian fans for the outpouring of support towards Guy during his battle with cancer. Lafleur, who is the all-time leading scorer in Canadian's history, returned home following a short stay in hospital. That's awesome, man. That's that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, no, it's awesome to know that we'll have Guy Lafleur for a few more years at least. 
for sure. And Guy Lafleur is one of these guys that I really wonder how many people of this generation following the Habs could even tell you who the leading scorer of the Montreal Canadiens were. Like, I have a feeling that most people who don't dive too far back into the league history would just tell you it would be um, Marie Richard just because his name's on the trophy. Or Jean Beliveau. Or Jean Beliveau, yeah. Well, even maybe not even Beliveau. As like as time goes on, and this may not be true for the Montreal Canadiens because they have such a hard focus on their legacy, on their history, but I could see it being very easy for other teams just as the fog of time expands, even some of the brightest stars get lost unless there's something that's constantly, constantly, constantly being brought back up to reimagine them in your reposition them in your mind. And for Marie Richard, it's the Marie Richard trophy. No, that's a good point. Actually, I never really thought about that. That's a, that's a pretty valid point. But yeah, I think for me, that one of the reasons why is that really, I was even thinking about like, when was the last time the Montreal Canadiens legitimately has had that offensive scoring threat up front? Because, I mean, really, there's there, there has been some guys who've been very talented up front. Like, you had the Pierre Turgeons, Vincent Domfuses. I think Kovalev, when he was on. Alex Kovalev, yeah, when he actually showed up. But even Saka Koivu wasn't an offensive juggernaut. He was a very, very talented player. And I think of this generation, he would be one of those guys that I think fans would maybe argue he should have his number retired by the Habs as well, but... I don't know. I mean, I, I think you would have to go back to Guy Lafleur. I think probably Guy Lafleur, maybe. I mean, you could think of it. Like, I think Stefan Richier would be a really good pick too, because I think he scored fifty with the Habs. But, but yeah, it's been a long time since they've had one of those kind of guys in the lineup. Yeah, because like the big offensive names on those old on those Habs teams were like Patch, like Patcheretti. Yeah, just not a lot. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, we got to give a quick shout-out to Seattle Kraken defenseman Mark Giordano, who played in his 1,000th NHL game versus the Kraken's game versus the Washington Capitals. Giordano, who started his career with the Calgary Flames for the 2005-06 season, had recorded six goals, 17 assists for 23 points, and 51 games for Seattle at the time of the story. And now with the trade deadline coming up here, he seems like he's a big name on the market, potentially to be dealt. Yeah, because despite Seattle having such a bizarrely weak season, Mark Giordano has been a legitimate bright spot. He has led that team from the back, and despite just abominable goaltending and even worse offense, Mark Giordano has been able to push the play the right way, and uh, Seattle looks almost competent in their own in the opponent's end when Giordano's on the ice, which is frankly incredible. It really is. It really is, and of course, you know Giordano. He's one of those guys like he's just def- he's he's defining father time because yeah. no defenseman in their late thirties is still scoring this way, right? Because you look at especially the a lot of the big name defensemen coming up, like even. Shea Weber. Shea Weber wasn't putting up Giordano. He wasn't putting up close to 20 goals in his late 30s. Well, the thing about Mark Giordano is he had elite finish, which you almost never see from a defenseman. 
like he was finishing at a rate similar to uh, like Jamie Benn in his prime, which is absurd. Mm-hmm. And he's doing this at age 38. Like he is 90th percentile finishing in the NHL. In his best season back when he was 33, he was like top 1% finish in the NHL. Like that's nuts. And all while still being a very, very, very good puck driver and playing first line minutes the whole time. Like Mike Giordano is a workhorse and he's, he's going to be another guy that plays a hell of a lot of hockey past age 40. Yeah. He's going to be like another chart. Yeah. And this is all from a guy who wasn't drafted. I know that's amazing. eh? And I didn't even realize he wasn't even drafted until I was looking that up. So good on him, man. Good on him. Now talking about another workhorse here, Tim, we also got to give another quick shout out to Toronto police forward, Wayne Simmons, who played in his 1000th NHL game during the Leafs game versus the Vancouver Canucks. Simmons drafted 61st overall, by the Los Angeles Kings in 2007 has recorded four goals, nine assists for 13 points in 53 games for Toronto this season. Wayne Simmons is an interesting character because a lot of people predicted the end of his career many times. So to see Wayne Simmons get to a thousand games is for me on the analytics side, very surprising because when he was in Philadelphia, sorry, when he at the end of his time in Philadelphia, when he was in Nashville, when he was in New Jersey, and especially when he was in Buffalo, he looked cooked. I think part of the reason why he's looked better in Toronto is he's just been given fourth line minutes and he can play. He could probably continue to play at an NHL level for a season or two more. He's been given the Spezza role. He's been given the Spezza role. Like one of the things that really propelled him to be an effective player in Los Angeles and, and his early career in Philadelphia is he had a pretty good finish and that's just gone. That that's not coming back. No. No, but, when you, uh, once you lose that finish, then a lot of things end up falling apart too. Yeah, but uh, he's back to being a pretty average play driver, which is more than most people thought because like the writing for him was really on the wall in Philadelphia when all of a sudden the his ability to drive offense just withered as well. And that's kind of come back for him and he's become less of a defensive liability in Toronto, so... Yeah, he's had a career revival there. It hasn't been much. It's been the transformation into the Jason Spencer role. But it's worked out for him, and uh, good for him. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. The NHL has announced that the Carolina Hurricanes will host the Washington Capitals for a stadium series game on February 18th, 2023 at North Carolina State University's Carter-Finley Stadium. The league previously stated during the 2022 Honda all-star game that Carolina would host the game, but did not reveal an opponent or a date. This is cool. It is very cool. But the thing is, I'm just, I'm so tired of these outdoor games. It has lost a lot of its luster for me. And I think a lot of it, I think one of the big cool things for me is where they get to play these games. Like you saw it with Nashville where they played it out of Nissan stadium where the Tennessee Titans play. Or that's very cool. Or what they played it on that Mesa in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, it was by Lake Mead. That was cool. Oh, it was. Or even, I would even say even Lake Tahoe. 
the, the Lake Tahoe, as much as the ice was shit, it was a very, very cool thing to see, right? Yeah. And they've done a lot, like, for these outdoor games, they've done some cool stuff. Like, well, Parliament Hill was very, very, very cool. Oh, yeah. yeah that was so neat to see. And you know what? And I think Dan O'Toole mentioned this on Boomsies is that if you go back and rewatch the original outdoor games, like the one in Buffalo with the Penguins and the Sabres or the one at Fenway Park, you see how far they have really come in the presentation of those games. Because honestly, back then it was, it was more of a, just a hockey game outside. Yep. Their main concern was making sure the ice was good. Yeah, well, remember, uh, I think it's the first Heritage Classic they did between Edmonton and Montreal. And it was, yeah, they made sure that the field that the Edmonton Elks play on was a good ice rink. And yeah. people were saying that that stadium was freezing. I There's a guy he works at the school I work at, and he was at the game. And he says that's the coldest he's ever been, and he grew up in Alberta. I think the only one that could probably top it, I think was the most recent one in Minnesota. Cause I hope it was at minus 32 Celsius at puck drop. And it got even colder. From yeah. That. Like it got to negative 40. Yeah. Well, even in Ottawa, it hit minus 31 at like just about halfway through the game. Yeah. How was that? Never again, man. Never again. <laughs> but honestly, and it's very, speaking about the, sends in the outdoor game is that I think there was some talk recently with the world juniors potentially coming to Ottawa. And so I know the guys at Sens College were talking about this as they were talking about maybe you do Canada, US outside a TD place, but also you could leave the ice in and do what they did for the NHL 100 classic. Right. Leave it, leave the ice surface out there. It's in the middle of winter. So the red blacks aren't playing. You can leave it outside. You can either have Ottawa, Montreal again, or probably the more, I would say the more popular of the two. Battle Battle of Ontario. Which I don't know about you. I potentially would think of flying back out to watch that. That would be cool. That would be awesome. A second outdoor game at TV place. It's such a shame that the Ottawa-Buffalo rivalry just got killed by bad hockey. Because if you wanted a just a chippy, fun-to-watch game in a football stadium. Ottawa-Buffalo in, like, 08 would have been Ottawa-Montreal in 2013. That would have been good, too. That was an absolute war, and that's a rivalry nobody talks about anymore. Yeah, well, both those teams have fallen off, right? They have, for sure. They have, for sure. And you know what? Go back to what I was saying about the Stadium Series game, Tim, is that... For me, I was thinking about why are why wouldn't they do it at where the Carolina Panthers play? But I think that's in I think I believe that's in South Carolina. I think is where the stadium is out of. Right. Well, I'm not mistaken. So because they play in Charlotte, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Charlotte's in South Carolina, while uh, they play in Raleigh. Sorry, the Hurricanes play in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yep. Yeah, where they used to have Rick Flair with the Goldhorn. Nice. Now you can't do that anymore because he reportedly, quote-unquote, got canceled. What did he do? Okay, so probably in the fall, there's a show called Dark Side of the Ring. It's on right. Vice, Viceland. And so Vice did the series, oh, no. all these wrestling stories about 
you know, like backstage stories and all this stuff. And they did one, my Kristen and I really, my work bestie, we were talking about this because she really loves the show and I love the show. So we're talking, man, what kind of show episode could they do it on? And I was reading the listing of the episodes. And when I saw this one, it says the plane ride from hell, which basically it was this flight that the WWE were doing a pay-per-view in England. I think it was the insurrection pay-per-view. And right. so all of, and they flew all their talent out there. And this is like right after WCW and ECW went out of business. So you had all three companies merge into WWE. So you had every big name you could think of. You had, you know, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. You had Brock Lesnar. You had Kurt, Han- or Kurt Angle. You had Scott Hall. You had all of these, bi- and Ric Flair. You had all these big names. And the stories that came out of that of, you know, and they were, they chartered this flight and the, the flight attendants, they'd worked with like the Phoenix Suns and the Coyotes and all the sports teams, right? So, yeah. okay, so they're, they're used to this. They're used to like rowdy professional athletes. The WWE guys, they went, you know, those, when you get on an airplane, they have like the liquor carts that they push up and down the aisles. Yeah. Three of them they went through before, nice. they, hit, before they took off. Oh, before they took off. That's incredible. So they were fucked by the time they got up in the air and they're too in like, there was this thing called an H bomb, which is like they were doing I don't know, Percocets or something, and they dropped it in the beer, and basically, or it was like a yeah Percocet, and it oh, just fuck. and it dissolved, it dissolved really quickly in the drink. So they would drink it, they would be blacked out. You would not have known. So it's a crazy story. Look, go look this episode up for all the listeners who want to check this shit out. But the one big story, and it's not a story that's been quiet about this is a very well-known story where rick flair has been very known to wear nothing but just his robe right on the road so he would be he would do a dance and then he would flash everybody and the guys would just start laughing they think it's funny yeah well he did that to the flight attendants and next thing you know he cornered them cornered one of them in the little kitchen area doing that yeah that's not good this is a story and rick flair has repeatedly denied that this ever happened and yet you have like Rob Van Dam and Tommy Dreamer and all these guys in the episode, and they're all confirming this happened. But it's a crazy, it's a crazy, crazy story. It's it's a lot crazier than I think the episode really let on because you know you have Brock Lesnar who's like you know 6'3", 270 pounds, and Mr. Perfect are wrestling, and they almost knock o- knock open the emergency door midair. I don't. I've it's, heard people say that like that's not as easy to do as you would think no and it's already quite hard to do because there's like pressure from the outside keeping the door in yeah and that and they said that too but yeah when you got two guys who are 250 pounds plus right and brock lesnar's like charging right at him no it's a crazy story though good episode but you know crazier stories Let's move our attention to Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid, who signed an endorsement deal with Bet MGM as a brand ambassador. David is joined by former Edmonton Oilers captain Wayne Gretzky, who is also a brand ambassador. So this is a really cool thing, and we're seeing this with other sports for Tim, where you're now seeing the league are part- parting with legalized gambling. You know, they've got a team in Vegas now. So it's one of these things where it was more of a when they're going to do it, not if they're going to do it. Yeah. And one of the things that has really started to happen on TV broadcasts as well is you're starting to see them talk a lot more about 
betting lines on the sports pod sports broadcast. I think this is more of a thing with like Bally and some of the American ones more yeah, so well, than TSN. Well, definitely when you had DraftKings, when DraftKings was really big, like maybe six, seven, eight years ago. And, you know, some of the betting sites down in the States, but I often wonder, now I don't know if you read this story that just came out today. There's a wide receiver with the Atlanta Falcons, Calvin Ridley. He suspended for the entire 2022 season for betting on NFL games. Well, that's the thing, right? It's the easier you make it for someone to do something, the more likely they are that they're going to do it. Right. That's yeah. just simple. If you want to make something hard to do tax it. If you want to make something easy to do, get rid of the tax, take away the barriers to entry. And it's not surprising that there are athletes out there who thought that they were either in the clear or they wouldn't get caught. Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Was he, I didn't read the full story. Was he betting on his own games? Uh, I didn't get a chance to read the entire story. I just read that he was betting on games because I'm in a thread with a number of guys I play fantasy football with. So you know, I had a bunch of stuff I had to do in today, so I didn't get a chance to read it. But yeah, it's one of those things where I'm not surprised. But I think it's kind of crazy that with the way legalized gambling is and these sports betting is that I'm not surprised these are happening. No, not at all. But, but no, it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. I think the NHL, and we always talk about how way behind the curve they really are on a lot of things and i think you guys gambling is another one of those things right yeah well it's gonna happen one way or the other right that's true that is true tim the chicago blackhawks have named kyle davidson as their new general manager davidson has served as both manager of hockey administration and assistant gm of the blackhawks since he joined the team in 2010 Ooh. Well, this, this is the weird thing about the story is the Blackhawks made it seem like they're going to really just go out and do something crazy. They were talking to all these people who had never been GMs before. They talked to an MLB general manager. And then they just go and retry. Yeah. Do we know if Davidson was aware of what was going on? Um, as far as I know, I don't know. For, for all I know, his hiring could have happened after the whole thing with Brad Elrich happened but I really don't have any information on that, Tim. I apologize for that, but yeah, I don't really have any information on that, but no, as soon as I read that, I'm just like, yeah, you were basically, it's like, it's like Chicago was doing everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah. It's their culture problems. Yep. Well, that's kind that's basically what most commentators have had said about the story and that you did all of these crazy, you're making it seem like you're going and doing this big, search and then you just did a retry yeah i thought it would be cool to bring in the mlb guy honestly oh i know right but i mean the mlb they're having their own problems right now i think somebody on the urinating tree video when they're talking about uh baseball it says that uh rob mansfield is such a different specimen because he makes gary batman and roger goodell look like perfect commissioners by pick by comparison which is incredible because uh Hockey's had how many lockouts? Yeah. And the NFL still denies that CTE is even a thing. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I mean, this is, this is the kind of shit that makes like my buddy Trey just give up on being a Blackhawks fan. And I'm sure I've told this on the story. He's now a Minnesota fan. That's deep, man. 
That's deep. And I says, really? Okay. I mean, cheer for a team in your own di- di- same division, eh? Okay. You know, whatever floats your boat, bro. That that's how big it. That that's how big the betrayal was, Tay. Exactly, man. Exactly. So we're going to talk about a couple of trades. The Montreal Canadiens have traded goaltender Michael McNevin to the Calgary Flames for future considerations. McNevin had recorded a 4-4-1 record with a .869 save percentage for the Lavelle Rocket of the American Hockey League this season. It's funny how many... Hey, do you want to borrow a goalie? Trades have occurred in the NHL this year. But quite a few. Yeah, because this just shores up a minor league injury for Calgary. Yeah. Because Markstrom and Vladar are still very healthy and uh, playing very good. Mm-hmm. Man, that was a great pickup for my fantasy, but man, my fantasy is not going well. I got to tell you, man, Saturday, 18 points. I just leaped. How? How? Okay, well, if you're going to ask how, let's bring up the stats here, Tim. There's no biggie or nothing here. Let's have no, a look. No biggie. Let's flex. Let's go. Yeah, let's have a little look here. Let's have a look-see here. Because my team, the Springfield Isotopes, 18 points. So here we are from top to bottom. Leon Dreisaitl, one assist. Tim Stutzla, two assists. Uh, who's this here? Jordan Cairo, one assist. Alex Debrinkett, one assist. Brad Marchand, two assists. Roman Yossi in that eight nothing win over the Sharks had four assists. Mike or Mike Riley, Morgan Riley had one assist. Thomas Shabbat had three assists and an eight five loss to the Coyotes. Zach Rinsky had a one assist, and Thatcher Demko had a win, which gave me two wit points. Man, I'm sad that Brady only had Brady somehow went pointless in an eight five loss. Man. Right? Yeah. At least, like, the only thing that's keeping me even in this season is Jacob Markstrom. I know. Like, you're, every, you're hovering near the bottom right now. Yeah. Well, every time I pick up a player, they just get injured. Like, I'm just cursed. Yeah. It is what it is, Tim. Same with our next trade, though. The Edmonton Oilers have traded goaltender Alex Stalock to the San Jose Sharks also for future considerations. Staylock recorded a 3-1 record with a .862 save percentage for the American Hockey League's Bakersfield Condors. Imagine that he wasn't able to jump ahead of the current circus in Edmonton. Right? That's sad. And Staylock's on emergency loan. Because, yeah, they're... Let's let's go through uh, San Jose's injury reserve because this is kind of impressive. Okay. Eric Carlson, Kevin LeBlanc, James Reimer, Aiden Hill, Mario Ferraro, Nikolai Kirchhoff, Jacob Magna, and Jonathan Dowlin. That's eight players, including their starting and backup goaltender. Yep. And Eric Carlson. And Eric Carlson. Man, as much as I love Eric Carlson... That trade. He was having such a good season, too, with the Sharks. It looked like he was turning it around, but, you know, unfortunately, injuries are the way it is, right? Yep. So, Tim, can I actually – sorry, can I add one more American League hockey story here before yeah. we get on to our one and final story of the evening? So, this actually has to involve 
your favorite American Hockey League team, the one and only, the San Diego Gulls, the team near and dear to your heart that I know. So I don't know if you saw this, Tim, and I'm sure you did because you're a big Gulls fan, Uh is that this past Wednesday night, now San Diego were playing a game versus the Colorado Eagles, which they won 5-2, to as you would know. Did you happen to know, but also I'm surprised you didn't bring this up at all, San Diego Gulls netminder Lucas Donstel made any AHL history when he became the 17th goaltender in league history to be credited with scoring a goal. Damn, there was a goalie goal? How Sick. did you not? How did you? And I know you're a big San Diego fan. How did you not tell me this? I had to find this Here's out on the my own. I don't watch the goals. <gasps> no. Mon dieu. You're a faux fan, Tim. You break my heart. We'll just have to deal with it. But damn, eight goalie goals. Let's fucking go. I know. I know. And I'm surprised, man, with all the hype that that caused that you didn't say anything about it on Twitter. But, you know, no. apparently your fandom has been called into question right now, man. I'm sad. I'm very sad. But we're going to close off top of the air by talking about a signing. Vegas Gold Knights have re-signed defenseman Ben Hutton to a two-year, $1.7 million contract with an AAB, 850000 Hutton had recorded two goals, seven assists for nine points in 35 games for Vegas at the time of the story. Not not a bad car- contract. Man, Vegas has had a weird, weird year. I think they're currently, for the first time in franchise history, they don't have enough points that they would make the playoffs if the season ended today. Well, that's a weird story. But yeah, it's just been Vegas has been ridiculously air like ridiculously injury prone. And the rest of the team has just kind not really been there this year. But Ben Hutton is he's pretty okay. And that's very good value for the contract. But man, how does Vegas just fit it all together next year? Well, the answer is they don't, but... You know what would be hilarious? Is if the Vegas Golden Knights missed the playoffs and Jack Eichel's the reason why. I knew, he, knew they should have made that deal. <laughs> well, it's like... Alex Tuck's actually been pretty good. Like, Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs have been about as good as you can be in Buffalo. Yeah, I guess what you could say is that Alex has been good at tucking in the goals. Nice. We like that. But yeah, it's been a it's gonna be an interesting trade to grade out. And yeah, we might see Vegas have this is a weird statement. We might see the Vegas Golden Knights have to rebuild. Yeah. Because this has been a team that's been in win now mode since their inception. And I look, I have no beef with the Vegas Golden Knights, but I think it's kind of nice to know that they have, outside of their expansion year, they never came close to winning the Cup. That's true. Although, to be fair, they've run in, they've had some weird playoff runs, like where they almost got stoned by Thatcher Demko and then uh, Dallas's run of destiny. Yep. And then they run into Montreal's dumber run of destiny. Although what's incredible about the Golden Knights last year is they managed to shut down the Avalanche. Yeah, that which was, is incredible. That was probably I, I 
I will maintain, I think Florida Tampa was a great series. I think that was very close. Well, it was what was so bizarre about that series was all of a sudden Vegas just flips this switch and they just dismantle Colorado. It was weird. It was weird, man. It was weird. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Lightning, the Sens versus the Panthers, and the Senators versus the Coyotes. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Nice. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Lightning. This is a 5-2 Lightning victory. Sens goes scored by Tyler Ennis and Zach Sanford. Lightning goes scored by Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, Corey Perry, and Miguel Sergachev. Shots were 27-22 for Ottawa. Tyler Ennis opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Senators. Deflecting the Thomas Shabbat point shot, Zach Sanford scores to make it 2-0 Senators. Kucherov scores from a weird angle to make it two to one. Braden Point ties the game at two, scoring top shelf. Steven Samko scores to make it three two. Lightning with a one timer. Corey Perry scores to make it four two, and Miguel Sergeyev scores to make it five two. Lightning, which would be the final. This was a weird game to watch because both teams were completely out of sorts. Like, I don't think I've ever seen the Tampa Bay Lightning completely unable to connect three passes. And the Ottawa Senators weren't any better. The difference here is that Vasilevsky let in the first two shots of the game. First and then correct, completely corrected, while Matt Murray just had a stinker. It is true. And that's exactly what I said here. Two goals and first two shots of the game, then completely gets dominated afterwards. Chippy game overall. Yeah, and it was a weird game. And three of the goals, I think... Like they came from good positions in close. Perry's really nice wrister from right in front of Murray is one that I don't think he had any chance on. Kucherov getting that that backhander right in front again. That's really hard to stop. Braden Point gets another beautiful wrister, but the Sergachev wrister was I don't think that hit anything. And I think that's that's a pretty not great goal by Murray. And the Stamkos. The Stamco slapper is a Stamco slapper. Yeah, it's like a Josh Torr slapper. Yeah. But at the same end, Vasilevsky made some incredible saves. Sure. Like, I actually think Ottawa could, Ottawa probably deserved better if Matt Murray could have gotten one of those. Yeah. And you know, let's talk about Matt Murray here for a second, Tim. 17 saves, a 0.773 save percentage. Honestly, I got it. I gotta play devil's advocate here. I don't think the fir- the first two shots that he they scored on was over the shoulder. That's kind of a hard place yeah. to stop, right? Because honestly, your shoulder can only go up so high. Of before course, you, before you get hand, like I said, if it hits a shoulder, goes down. Well, you've handcuffed yourself. Yeah. So no, I can't blame those, him on those. No, I think it's probably the Sergachev goal is probably the one he wants back because that was a bit of a weird one. Now, I do want to talk about Colin White here for a second, Tim. One assist and five shots. I got to say, it's been really great to see that he has not missed a beat in his return. No, and well, we knew Colin White had to do this because if he did, if he does not come in and he doesn't slot in and he doesn't play 
good right off the bat. He's his contract is in his contract's gone and who knows where he ends up and what he ends up doing for the rest of his career. Since he's come back, he has three points in five games. And if he goes at probably about a point per 60 minutes, he's a bona fide NHLer. The question is, is can he, can, can he be a top six player? And that's yeah. the big question for Colin White. It is. And he's looked in this game and in even the Arizona game. And definitely we're not going to get to it this week, but the Vegas game, Colin White looked fantastic. Now I want to move our attention to our captain Brady to chuck one assist and four shots. Now he definitely had a chippy game, as I mentioned earlier, but I love the shot of Keith Chuck in the crowd. And he just goes, just shakes his head at him. One of the things I'm noticing, and I can definitely sense why Keith is frustrated is Ottawa has gotten into this habit when they're chasing the games, they're just trying to fight everything that moves. And Brady Kachuk is kind of leading the, leading the charge there. Yeah. He's got that very old school mentality of just try to outwork everybody, try to out hit everybody fight if you have to. Yeah. And I, we saw a bit too much of that. Saw way too much of that in this game. Definitely saw it even worse in Florida. And, uh, Thankfully for the Senators, that didn't seem to be the case as much in Arizona. This is probably this game was also kind of weird as far as uh, like the pen. Act, the refs called a pretty decent game here, but it was just a weird game, lots of odd. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of the Senators were still some of the Senators and some of the Lightning were sick. And, and we lost, a- yeah. Chris yeah, Tierney the, was. That's the funny thing is like I was even watch looking at the scores. I'm like, how in the hell are we losing? And I, but nobody on Twitter is giving them cutting them any slack. They're just like, oh, for fucking rebels, not fuck, like fuck, 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 yeah. fuck off. You know, that's a and I think that's why I had to close out Twitter today. I'm just like, that's the thing. We lose more than two games, and everybody just throws a fit. It's like that's true. And I'm just, it's so exhausting. And it's always the same people. I will not mention names, but it's the same fucking people every single time. And it's to the point where they follow us and we follow them. It's almost to the point where I'm like, do I just mute them? That's not a bad idea. Yeah, because I'm so, it's just, and it's weird. There's got to be a word for this, Tim. You, you see something and it just makes you physically exhausted. No, but I, I understand what you're getting at. Um, I'm sure there's, there's probably got to be a word for that. It's probably German. Yeah, it's probably a German word because the Germans got lots of words, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I do want to make one comment here about the Tampa Bay Lightning, Tim. And I had to condense watch this game because I didn't, didn't get a chance to sit down and watch it as I did with the rest of the games this week. Is do you recall former TSN personality Dan, uh, Dan Randolph? No. Or Dave Randolph. Okay, so Dave Randolph, when he worked for TSN, he was known to do a lot of the CFL games. Like he was a, co- I think he did, I think he was a play-by-play or commentator. I'll have to look into that. But I didn't realize he's doing play-by-play for the Tampa Bay Lightning on TV. Oh, that's cool. Is he on and Bali I, then? Or? Yeah, I heard his voice and I'm like, 
It seems like that sounds like Dave Randolph. That's fucking weird. I hadn't thought about that dude in years. And I looked it up and yeah, he's working for Tampa. Nice. If we want to close off on some positives, Thomas Shabbat and Colin White played fantastic. Yeah. Actually, if I want to close out on a positive here, Tim, next Sunday night, the Tampa Lightning play the Vancouver Canucks. Guess who got tickets for it? Nice. Yeah, it's one of those things because, like, Katrina and I are going to Vancouver on Saturday because we're going to watch the Vancouver Warriors play. Right. Yeah, because you and I were talking about this off off air. But, yeah, we're going to go see it because, like, she, when she was living in Calgary, she went to see the Roughnecks play a couple of times. And she was just like, hey, do you want to go see the Warriors play? And I was like, okay. Yeah. And then, and then I looked in the Canucks tickets, and I'm like, hmm, they're playing Tampa the next night. And I got tickets for, like, 68 bucks a piece. Recently. Holy shit, Really? Yeah, $68 resale. And I was like, hey. Wait, where are those tickets? They're in the 300s. That's still really good for Canucks tickets. I said to a ticket train, I'm like, hey, so we're going to be in Vancouver anyway. Do you want to go see the Canucks play the Lightning the next night? She's like, all right. All right, let's stop beating you around the bush. Let's talk about some real fucking shit. Sens versus Panthers. This is a three to nothing Panthers shutout victory. Panthers goals were scored by Mason Marchman, Patrick Hornquist, and Ryan Lumberg. Shots were 48-18 for Florida. Mason Marchman opens the score to make it one nothing Panthers on an aggressive Florida offensive attack. Patrick Hornquist jams at home to make it two nothing, and Ryan Lumberg scores to make it three nothing Panthers, which would be the final. What the hell kind of game was that? Ottawa did not. Sh- the only sender who showed up was Forsberg. And for the first period, it almost looked like a sensing was in order. Sorry, for the first two periods, the fact that this game went to the second intermission stuck at one nothing was all Forsberg all the time. And one of the things that really got Ottawa down and out was Ottawa got into some massive penalty trouble. They were chasing the game and their sticks were in bad places. Granted, some of those calls were very questionable. Yeah. And but, that's, what, that's what a lot of people on Twitter were talking about. They said it's, it was some claim. It was one of the most frustrating games they've ever seen. And you were commenting on this. You were like, oh, this is such a greasy game. It's a really greasy game. The officiating was rather questionable. And, uh, there was a big brawl near the end of the game, and it was really the first time Ottawa showed up. And this is incredible. Ottawa players were given misconducts while Florida players were allowed to remain on the ice. And Austin Watson gets a talking to from the NHL because he told a ref that this is your fault. Yeah, well, you see, well, and it's amazing. That's all he did. Because you saw Shabbat like, holding him back, like, no. Yeah. Although to be perfectly frank, the Gambrell Watson Kelly line was the only one that was on the right side of five on five play. Everyone else was just, just not there getting outskated outworked except for Connor Brown on the penalty kill Two beautiful breakaway attempts. And Bob Rovsky just robbed him twice. Granted, other Bob Rowski had didn't have a lot to do last on that night. No, he very didn't. quiet night in net. This is very much the response game 
after we beat them eight to two and we sent Spencer Knight to the minors. Well, the other thing that happened was Florida was trying to avoid losing three straight for the first time this season. They had lost an embarrassing game, I believe, to Buffalo. So Florida was out for blood by hockey viz Blake Micah Blake McCready's model. Mm-hmm. Florida had eight expected goals. Tug on collar. Tug on collar. Colin White, probably, sorry, Colin Brown. Sorry, Connor Brown. Connor Brown had one on his own. Colin Brown's going to have to become a Gatineau Greg. Gatineau Greg, yeah. We'll, we'll get him on it. But yeah, Florida dominated this game. And, uh, I'd say burn the tape and move on to the next game, but man, at least the next game, Ottawa played, but they did not get goaltending. Okay, Tim, let's move our attention, unfortunately, to the third and final game of the evening. Sens versus Coyotes. This is an 8-5 to five Coyotes victory. Sens was scored by Parker Kelly with two, Josh Norris, Alex Ford Munnington, and Nick Paul. Get ready for this, Tim. Coyotes goals are scored by Nick Schmaltz with two, Clayton Keller with two, Matthias Mekel, Lawson Kraus, Shane Gossesphere, and Dyson Mayo. Shots were 46-31 for the Senators. Now, normally I would do a rundown or some sort of thing like I'm talking about with a game. I only got two words to describe this game, Tim. Are you ready for this? Yep. Emotional damage. Yeah, I, that's about right. I don't know, dude. Well, here's the rough thing. Ottawa, for the majority of this game, outplayed Arizona. However, there was if every so often there would just be just a complete offensive break sorry defensive breakdown usually caused by nikita zaitsev that then either left murray high and dry or murray was just completely unable to bail them out however goal number five that let arizona back into the game was a complete muffin oh where by uh, murray oh where he just who was it not me it was a uh, mckelly where he kind of just made the little move and just slid it under his legs yeah and there was a lot of a, a, more than a few of those goals were ones that Murray would definitely like to have back, especially the, especially the goal by Gossipier. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's get this out of the way, Tim, Matt Murray, 23 saves 0.742 save percentage. I do not know what kind of performance that was, but apparently it was one that gets you put on the IR. Yeah. Well, I, I am surprised that Matt Murray finished that game because the way that he went into the back of the net via knee Mm -hmm. looked a lot like the Chris Kreider goal. And sure enough, he is on injury reserve now. So I would not be surprised if Matt Murray played the rest of that game concussed. Yeah. And then Philly goose gets brought up. Yeah. Is it Philly goose or Gus the bus? Uh, We'll see what we get. We'll see what we get. Yeah. Um, I would like to see Philip Philip Gustafson get some games. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now let's talk about some real positives for the senators here. Thomas Shabbat, three assists and three shots. 
And it's a shame he didn't score because, man, like even watching the even watching the condensed game, you can tell how instrumental he was on the Sens' offensive game. Yeah, uh, this is probably one of Shabbat's better offensive games as a center, and probably just one of his better games in general. But yeah, with and it's his first game with three assists, and when he was away from Nikita Zaitsev, it looked really good, and the Shabbat Zoo pairing was fantastic. And I would like to see more Shibatsu. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, one guy, I was actually kind of surprised you didn't bring him up at all in these games here, Tim. Parker Kelly, two goals on three shots. I mean, who would have thunk it, eh? Yeah, no, I wasn't expecting Parker Kelly to have a multi-point game, but that's the funny thing about Kelly is he's a sandpaper player. He's been on the right side of the puck for most of these games, which is more than you could say about any of the other senators. And he was rewarded with two goals. And his second goal was a goal, goal scorer's goal. Oh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Now, another guy I want to talk about here, Tim, is Josh Norris. Straight cash, homie. One goal on three shots. So well, good to see that. See those goals go back in. He was he was back in his office, and he's just gonna he's gonna start scoring again as he gets back into the swing of it. And that's good for the senators because like they could finally get some consistency, finally get things rolling. Mm-hmm. This is another game where the officiating was kind of questionable. So like the Ottawa senders just it was a weird game. They never got anything going. And then just bad officiating on top of that led to a pretty unfortunate result. Speaking about bad officiating, do you want to just talk about the Vegas golden Knights game? Just get it out of the way. I I didn't get a chance to watch it. I, I did watch the the Eichel goal that put him up 2-1. But other than that, I didn't get a chance to watch it. Okay. Do you want to just quickly do it? Yeah, go for it, man. Cool. Uh, the final game, bonus game this evening, is the Ottawa Senators versus the Vegas Golden Knights. Score is Vegas Golden Knights with two, Ottawa with one. The goal scorers are Jonathan Mascherschall and Jack Eichel for the Vegas Golden Knights, and Brady Kachuk on the power play for the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa led the Golden Knights with three expected goals to two. A fantastic game by the Ottawa Senators where Vegas comes out swinging in the first period, but as the game goes on, Ottawa is able to shift the momentum to such an extreme degree that Vegas is unable to get a shot for the first half of the third period. Ottawa deserve to win this game however thomas shabbat is called for a tripping penalty where thomas shabbat stick does not touch jack eichel and it is a very very weak call and vegas scores and wins the game it is a penalty called in the last minute of the game ottawa definitely deserved better but robin laner played a lights out game I got to say, Tim, I love the fact that I'm now seeing what it would be like if I wasn't the, co- the host of the show. If you were just be like doing the rundowns, I like it. You had your own spin to it. I like that, Tim. <laughs> well, it's like I like expected goals better than shots. Yep. Yeah. And uh, one line that I really liked was the Sanford Paul Colin White line and the Kachuk Norris Connor Brown lines were both very, very good with the Norris line eating the Eichel line for breakfast. 
with the Sanford, Paul, and White lines doing cleanup for the rest of the game. And it's just, there were, mul- there were multiple occasions on five on five where Ottawa got up close and personal. Tim Stutzla probably should have had a goal this game. He was just all over the net, lots of great shots, but Laner was just completely all over that net. Hold on a second, Tim. I got to correct you here for a second. Are you, are you, are you saying Tim Stutzla or Tim Stutzla? I mean, the guy had over half an expected goal on his own. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, got to get the, you know. Got to get the DJ Horan, yeah. Got to get that horn in there. Yeah, so this is a game where Ottawa deserved much better. And I actually, and seeing them dominate Jack Eichel was really something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, we saw a much better game out of the Senators, which is surprising because they actually didn't get into their hotel in Vegas until after midnight. Oof. Yeah. So, I don't know. I would have liked to see better out of, I think the Ottawa Senators deserve better here. But that marks five losses in a row for the Ottawa Senators. And did we really lose five already? We have five straight? Yep. Because we lost against Montreal, Tampa, Florida, Arizona, Vegas. Oh, shit. Okay. Didn't even think about that. And it's frustrating because the Sens were looking pretty good. And then all of a sudden in, in the Tampa game, like the Tampa game and the Arizona game were winnable games and the goaltending fell out. Ottawa just did not come out during the, the Florida game. And the Montreal game was a weird one. Yeah. Which we talked about last week. Yeah. And this is a game where Ottawa just came out and they just ran into a, a goalie who, for whatever reason, just pulls rabbits out of his hat whenever the Ottawa Senators come to town. Yeah. Um, Shabbat st- looked very good against the Vegas Golden Knight, basically dominating play whenever he touched the ice. And it's unfortunate that a shitty fucking call against him mm-hmm. took him out of the game and ultimately gave the win to the Golden Knights. Man, I'll tell you, that's one game we're not going to be talking about next week for sure, which, yeah. you know. I'm glad we got it out of the way, to be honest. I don't want to have to look back at that game. It's a shame that I have nothing really to comment on that game, Tim, to be honest with you. I'll just, yeah. One thing I'll do is I'll cut that out of next week's game of the week. So there we go. Um, And I guess that's the interesting question now, is like after Ottawa just rattles up, well, I guess the question isn't what Ottawa does at the deadline anymore, because I think it was a foregone conclusion that Ottawa would be a seller at the deadline, but this changes some decisions. Mm-hmm. Like the biggest, most obvious change decision is what happens to Anton Forsberg. Yeah. Because Matt Murray is up and down and injured. It looked like he he was stringing together a lot of very good starts, and then the wheels came off the bus this week, and now he's out of the lineup again. Yeah, which, I mean, now does that throw a monkey wrench into Matt Murray's future too, right? 
Yeah. Well, it's like, can the Ottawa Senators will, sorry, not can, would, would they buy him out? Yeah. That's going to be an expensive contract or, to buy. Or do, they put, or do they throw him on Robot Island? Can they throw him on Robot Island? I don't know. He's on IR, so I don't know. That's true. Well, it's like, I re- that's one of those things I really wonder is like how much career, like I was really hoping that he would have a career up and down last two years has just been really rough to watch. And that's, that's always been the thing about the Matt Marie contract is that it is high risk, high reward. Yeah. And we said that even at the time, right? We said that last week. Yeah, but even even when we signed that contract, we made made that trade. I said this is a high risk, high reward because this could blow up in our face. Like I try to be the optimist here, but even I'm just like, what do you do about Murray now, right? Because I was really hoping Matt would be the guy, but I'm starting to agree with a lot of people on Twitter who's just like, is he really the guy? No, and but the problem is, is even guys like Gustafsson hasn't really fully emerged. As being a true number one, he's had his moments, but when I watch him, he's kind of the same way. He will put up some great performances and then put in a couple of stinkers. Yeah. And I'm, that's the thing with goose too, is like, well, he's also 23. Yeah. Like at 23. And the other thing with Gustafson is you also have Mandelize and the other young guys like Mandelize Sogard that are pushing from underneath. Yep. But here's the thing is if the Ottawa senders buy him out, he'll have a 1.75 cap hit next year, 750,000 the year after that. And then two and a half million for the two years after that. So it'll be a very tough buyout. Yeah. Yeah, especially with Norris and Stutzla going to be RFAs end of the year, right? Yeah, so it's... Well, here comes the question. No, no, I guess... No, no. Stutzla's an RFA next year, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay, so just Norris. If you are Pierre Dorian and Robot Island is an option, is Phoenix an option? Send him to Phoenix with a second. Yeah. Because next year, well, next year we don't have any picks, but send him maybe with Tampa's second. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a thing, right? I mean, you're going to have to start thinking that way too, but you're going to have to put a lot of faith that one of these young guys coming up is going to hit. Yeah. And if, here's the thing is, if Anton Forsberg is playing, well, here's the weird thing about Andrew. Like as much as people like to point back to the Andrew Hammond, well, I guess if, if Anton Forsberg is a Mike Condon type deal mm-hmm. where all, he has a good year in him and all of a sudden, and he just goes back to being a bit of a pumpkin, Ottawa's in trouble either way. Yeah. If that's not the case and Anton Forsberg like this year is sustainable, then Goose Force Goose Forsberg might not be a terrible might not be the worst tandem imaginable. Or Ottawa goes goalie shopping. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Who would you get though? That's the only thing, right? Would you take a gamble on Marc-Andre Fleury? 
That's a that's a big one. Do we go back to the Pittsburgh well? Yeah. Because here's the thing. If we can't win a Stanley Cup because of them, we'll take the goalies. Why? Flurry has since the beginning of the season, Flurry has brought it back. Yeah, it'll also depend on also what kind of a deal he'll want too, right? That's true. And can Ottawa afford him? Yeah. It's like who is even coming up as a free agent next season? And that's a really interesting question. Flurry? Flurry is maybe the only one I can think of right now. Yeah. I'm just going to look at cat friendly to see player position filter salary structure sort by cap pit or by descending or team handed position goaltender. Let's see who we got. Okay. Uh, Flurry, Koskinen, Kemper, Grease, Corpus. Maybe, maybe take a gamble on Georgiev. Maybe. Yeah, because otherwise it's not great. Because uh, Georgiev, he's the good in New York, right? Yeah, who just got beat by Shatterskin. Yes. Jack, I wouldn't. T- I don't. Jack Campbell would be an interesting one if Toronto doesn't resign him. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, there's not a lot coming down the pipe. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Got to wait and see though. Yeah, at least with Georgiev, he but the hard thing with Georgiev is this year his save percentage is pretty bad. Like 0.9. Yeah, and do you really want to take another chance on the guy who has that cool kind of numbers, right? Yeah. I guess we could gamble on Brayden Holtby. If he was a stopgap. Yeah, like a like only, a one year, yeah, yeah. It and that's only if we get rid of Matt Murray. Yeah. At that point, I'm not sure Matt Mur sorry Braden Holtby and knock us a second round pick is better than just dealing with Matt Murray's injuries for two more years. Yeah, it's gonna be. I don't know. I don't know what to think here, man. Yeah, like this is a very like Ottawa's goal is a it's a weird place and this we wouldn't be having this discussion if goose had stepped up earlier in the season yeah absolutely right the other interesting thing is that chris tyranny hasn't come back to the lineup he was in the he was in the warm-up skate in tampa came off everyone thought he was sick you know what maybe dorian's telling him get off the ice we're trading you that could be the only thing I can think of. Yeah, because his last game was against Montreal. And I'm not sure if he's on injury reserve. I don't think so. He just could be scratched right now. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm just gonna bring up Cat Friendly again to see if he's on injury reserve. Yeah, I don't think he is. Yeah. Well, it's like there's six. So Ottawa has three games next week, right? Yes. So there's probably about six well, games four, until if you want to count Vegas, yeah. but we already talked about that. Yeah. There's six games until oh Tierney's on injury reserve. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's six games until trade deadline. From what we are hearing from Bruce Garriock, he's talking about Eric Brandstrom 
fighting for ice time in Ottawa next season. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like Branstrom isn't on the block. So that's, but he also mentioned that there's trade interest in Josh Brown. I have heard that. So that's what that actually cleans up Ottawa's defense quite a bit. The only thing you really need to get rid of to really clean it up is get rid of uh, Nikita Zaitsev. And then you could run Shabbat, Sanderson, Brandstrom on one side, Zub, Holden, and one of JBD or Lassie Thompson on the right and have Victor Mete as your seventh. And that actually looks pretty decent. Mm -hmm. And if you just pay Victor Mete at like 1.2 million, well, you pay him his qualifying offer. That's all you probably need. I would say so. Especially because Nick Holden's salary went down in his new contract. So, Tim, I don't really have any more comments to make on these games. If you want to head off into the close for another episode. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8. W-A-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to give some thoughts on what you would do if you were Pierre Dorian dealing with the Senators, shoot us an email, thirdplussoundscast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the games of the week, as it currently stands, obviously we just talked about the game last night versus the Vegas Golden Knights. So for the games of the week, we have Tuesday, we are in St. Louis to play the St. Louis Blues, Thursday, we return home for the very first time in franchise history. We will be playing the Seattle Kraken. And Saturday, we will be finishing up with a game versus the Chicago Blackhawks. More like the Seattle Kraken, am I right? I think I think for me is I got to figure out which grunge band do I pay homage to in our name of the episode. Uh, hmm. Nirvana is obvious. I think Nirvana is a very obvious one. Yeah. And I don't even like Nirvana. I, I, I love Nevermind. I think it's an amazing album. I did a whole episode on a great, great experience. Ah, uh, what would I do? Everything else I, is kind of meh. I think if I have to pay We're doing the Foo Fighters. They're from LA though. They're not from Seattle. Oh, fuck you're right. They're from LA. Uh, yeah, well, they're based the pumpkins? In, especially pumpkins are from Chicago. Right. Uh, Soundgarden. Soundgarden? Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like the big four, like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Or if I oh. want to go real deep, the Melvins. The Mel. Oh, no. <sighs> How There's so many Pearl artists. Jam is fun. There's so many artists. I mean, I could do Macklemore. I can do the Grunge. Quincy Jones is from Seattle be fun yet honestly i know jimmy hendrix is C- is san fran no he's seattle oh he's seattle right i think the only thing i can think of for nirvana is there's a song off in utero and i think it's uh francis farmer will have her revenge on seattle <laughs> if i could think of a player name for that or something silly like that it'd be cool no no that'd be a good one until oh. next week guys i am your host taylor gibson and this has been tim jensey Go Sands, guys. Woo!
the stars above you What are you holding on to Saying that only God